Welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor of Awaken Church, joined by Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey. And Jeremy Shane Suggs. And we are back for another episode of the Wordsmith Podcast. We're getting really close to wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount this episode and one more. And we're excited to finish up um, this series with you guys. Got a conversation card for you today. Should be interesting. Which of your personality traits gets you in the most trouble? I'm, I don't know which one doesn't get me in trouble. Yeah, it's the most. Which you one know, gets you in the uh, most trouble? I, I don't... You want us to start guessing? No. <laughs> no, because you probably hit me. <laughs> no, then it becomes a personal attack. Yeah. No, uh, for me, I think it's... I would say being overly blunt. Yeah. But it's it's... To be honest, it's more speaking before I've reflected on what I'm about to say. I think it's more that than it is just sure, being yeah. blunt. Uh, so I would say that personally, personality trait. Sometimes I react, you know, too quickly, it, you know, verbally. Uh, I don't I don't normally act like, like act, you know, quick, but I do speak, you know, I, I react in speech much too quickly. So I think that probably gets me in... Well, not probably. That's what gets me in trouble more often. And, like, trouble, I mean, it it offends people, I think, is what I mean by getting me in trouble. I mean, it doesn't – like, it's never landed me in jail or anything like that. Uh, Yeah, so for me, I feel like it's a personality trait, but then again, maybe it's not. So if it's not, then I'll amend my answer. I think it's my desire to not, to use my own words, bother people so let me let me give an example of this so I've, I've joked before with people in the past that it's the Calhounness in me that it, it started either with I think with my grandmother and it's gone through my father and it's now gone through me this idea that you just don't bother people so uh, uh, the the most extreme example of this is when I was still in high school I believe um or maybe it was community college, but one of the two, my grandmother called my father late one night. It was like 8 o'clock, which for some people <laughs> is not late, but it was my grandmother who ate sometimes dinner at like 4.30 or 5. So, yes, it was late by her standards. Sure. So she calls one night, and I can only hear half the conversation, but my father's just like kind of answering some questions or whatever, and then he slowly gets up, he goes, grabs his jacket, and he leaves. What had happened was my grandmother called him, and she started out with like normal chit chat that you would have or what have you, but then she kept asking him questions, like medical related questions, and essentially what she ended up saying to him eventually was, you know, I think I think I may be having a heart attack. And then my father was like, well, okay, well I'll come and get you and we'll go to the hospital, and she's like, no, I I don't want to bother you. It's so late. I, the people, I'm sure they got more important stuff to deal with or whatever. And it's just like, you're having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of the extreme example of... This. Was she, in fact, having a heart attack? She was not, no. Okay. Uh, it's actually a sense of subject matter because then Cockwood then moved her on to Albany. When we were thinking there was some kind of heart thing going on, it was just she had an elevated heart rate. Is all it was. So uh, somebody was worried about it. And her, uh, somebody at the Cockwood uh, uh, Hospital made a mistake. <laughs> that anyway. is the shocker of a century. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so, and another example of this is, I think I've shared this with, like, preaching, or maybe it was on the podcast or something, like, when I was a young man, I would be playing uh, NCAA football or whatever, and I would be trying to take Northwestern and make them a national power and win the Heisman, all that kind of stuff, and then my mom would just come into my room, and it would be Saturday morning or something, and she'd be like, what is wrong with you? Why, why are you the way you are, or something along those lines? And I would I would just be flabbergasted by this, like, where are you, I'm... I'm making Northwestern a national power, Mama. What are you talking about? And it was my father would be up on the roof, and he would be cleaning stuff, and he would be doing stuff that you need a second person to do. But my father would refuse to let anybody else know, and yeah. she was frustrated with me because like you should just know. It's like I, I don't know what he's doing. He's Jerry does weird stuff all the time, what have you? Because he won't ask for help, and it's the rare occasions where he asks for help. You know, like man, he really needs somebody else to help him or whatever. I totally relate. Yeah, to that. yeah. So anyway, that that. I also have that habit or whatever. So when there's situations where I don't, I've done better about asking people for help for things. But for me, it's like 
if I'm sitting with, if I'm at dinner and there's two to three other people, I will be by far the quietest person at that table 99% of the time because I feel like these people are better at talking, so I'll just let them talk. Yeah. And then, so I'll go and I'll meet Alyssa's friends and I'll meet Alyssa's family or whatever. Car rides, too, just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. very fair. <laughs> I hate that I coughed when you said that because that is very true. Yeah, so, I mean, I just I just don't talk and it's not, it's just, yeah, it doesn't even, I don't even question it anymore. But then on the ride home or the ride back or whatever, Alyssa would be like, you didn't, what is wrong? Why You didn't talk the whole time. You didn't ask them a single question. It's like, oh, I didn't want to bother them. Because that's just how my mind works or whatever. Yeah. So I feel like that's probably held me back over the years or whatever. It's like I've probably had connections. I could just picture Matt going for a job interview and just sitting there staring <laughs> at the interview. I'm not going to bother you. You were asking these great questions. I really didn't want to bother you in the I, middle of that. Honestly, I've done a few job interviews, and it's it's not been quite like that, but it's fairly close to it. I'm good about answering questions, but if I've got the person who's got to ask the questions or whatever, I, I'm not real good at that. Yeah. Anyway, so I think it's – it's probably denied me having some close relationships with people and then probably just not having the connections that I probably should just because I don't want to bother people. Yeah. It's so funny because you said your mom walked in. Why are you the way you are? And I think Shane's walked in and asked you that a few yes, times. Yes, he has actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Personalities are great. Um, I think mine is I, I hate conflict, um, confrontation, avoidance, and that usually ends up more trouble than it's worth. Sure, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know where that stems from. Um, I'm sure somewhere in my childhood or something, uh, probably go sit down on a couch somewhere and figure out where conflict and confrontation avoidance comes from. Yeah. But Do they actually sit down on couches anymore? Like, I don't know on TV they do, but I'm just Surely. curious. I, I've never been like, I've never been to like a therapy session, yeah. but like on some shows that I watched, like they, and they were set like in the 60s and 70s, and they would come in and ask, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's how it used to be because. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you know that's how it was portrayed on TV. So I'm like, okay, sure. maybe that is. But I just is I don't you're, I can't picture about, it anymore. You're talking about those couches like they would actually lie down on. Yeah, like a yeah. Chase I don't think lounge. you lie down yeah, on them anymore. Do yeah. that okay, that's how they used to do. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they would lie down though, just because. I'm sure it was just an effort to make them comfortable. Or something. I if somebody came into my office for counseling and laid down on my couch, I would, <laughs> I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can no longer focus. You know, randomly, though, I'm thinking about this confrontation avoidance. I was thinking about this. The other day we were riding in the car talking about birth order and, and all those things mm-hmm. you guys remember. And, yeah. Um, on the way home, I was thinking about the fact that I grew up an only child. And, like, arguments always make me uncomfortable. Like, sure. when p- people, even if I'm not involved, if, if you two were arguing right now, it would make me uncomfortable. Like, yeah. it, I just... If I'm at a restaurant and somebody else is complaining to somebody, like it, that makes me, even if I'm not at their oh, table. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And I was stemming from our conversation. I said, I wonder if that comes from being an only child. Because you have anybody to argue with. Right. Because like my kids, they argue with each other all the time. Right. Um, and so I'm sure when they grow older, like arguing is not going to be like, that doesn't make them uncomfortable. Cause yeah. it, but for me, like I never had anybody to argue with. And yeah. so arguments and even confrontation of that sort was. Um, I mean, it's rare to have yeah. to, to do that. Hmm. And, you know, never had a sibling to fight with, cousins. I mean, a little bit, but not. Most of my cousins were way younger than me, too. So, right. Um, I guess, you know, if we're sitting here on the couch, I'm figuring out maybe this is where it comes from. It's just never had to process it and deal with that. So, if you have an only child, argue with them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and maybe yeah. 10 other only children would go, no, I don't have that problem at all. But, yeah. no, um, I mean, we, we definitely argue. Like I can argue with my. Me and my brother, I mean, we fought all the time. Yeah. Uh, which is really it's it's kind of weird because my my older brother, JJ, he's as quiet as Matt. Like he could he could sit in the room and we could watch TV and he not say five words. Yeah. Uh, so I mean it was an art form to be able to argue with him. Right. But you had to work I, hard at it. Yeah, but you, yeah, hey, yeah, you mastered the skill. <laughs> because look, you pulled that same thing out of Matt. That's so you true. have mastered that skill. There you yeah, go. Maybe so. Maybe. Um, You've achieved something in this world. You know, I remember as a parent when we when Finn got old enough to begin to have conflict with Sawyer, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know. Yeah, sure. I remember th- like having conversations with Ashley where I was like, What are we gonna do? And she's like, What do you mean? I'm like, like they're they fight. Like, how are we gonna fix this? And she's like, We're not. Like this is what siblings do. They'll fight, and then one day they'll go, you know what? This kid's not so bad, and like when they're adults, yeah, and then yeah, they'll yeah. be friends. That's and I was right. like, oh, 
So we're just got to deal with them fighting. And again, like, here yeah. I'll tell you what's going now on. Now I, I get the, it. I'll tell you right now what's going on behind the scenes, and it'll get worse when they get teenagers. Is one of them will do something, and I don't, your kids may be more forthcoming than me and my brother were. But what happened all the time is like maybe I would do something that would get me in trouble if my mama knew, you know, whatever it may yeah. be. No, I mean, we weren't like breaking the law or anything like that, yeah. but. Anyway, and then my brother were like, oh, I'm telling mama. I'm like, oh, no. Not my mama, you can't tell my mama because, I mean, you yeah. know, catch a beat down. Mm-hmm. And so he would just like, for like the next month or so, he would just like hold it over my head. Like, hey, really? I think you need to wash the dishes today after dinner. I was like, no, I'm not. It's your day. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to tell mama. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you wind up. And then eventually you get to the point where like, I don't care. Just tell mama. Yeah, you should have told then, her a month ago. And then he wouldn't. It's like, well, the information is too old. I can't say, hey, mom. Like, he knew he yeah. would get in trouble. Like, hey, he lost Shane his did bargaining this. power. Shane did this a month ago. And then I would do the same thing to him. And um, yeah. so your boys are probably going to do a, probably a lot of that. Yeah. You know, thing. the thing I don't get is, like, they will intentionally do stuff that drives each other nuts. Yeah. And I just don't get that because I never have had that sort of relationship with somebody where I go, you know what? I really, I want to aggravate. I, like, I really want them to get mad today. I want them to want to fight me. <laughs> like, yeah. if I do this, it's going to make them really mad. Like, I've never yeah. had that relationship with somebody where I've, I've thought like that. But it seems like they think like that on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. No what doubt. can I do to mess this guy up? Yeah. And sometimes, um, at least with brothers and, uh, well, sisters do it because I've raised two girls, so they, they do it as well. Sometimes they only do some things because they know it right. drives the other one crazy. Sure. Like, uh, like they really like they get no joy out of actually doing it, but they get joy out of it makes them mad. Yeah. And See, but, I've just never had that relationship thing, with somebody. But the thing is, like, man, they, what a childhood they I missed wind out up. on. But what I think it does is it creates depth in that relationship some in some weird way. Yeah. To where when they grow up, man, they're like really good friends, you know, or, or yeah. close. They're closer when they grow up, so I don't know. Yeah. And, I mean, it, I see it a lot. I mean, like my boys, they'll be best friends, and, and, you know, five minutes later they're fighting, and then five minutes later they're back to yeah. – they're they're doing all their fun stuff oh, together. Absolutely. But I could not imagine walking in the house and going, what can I do today that's really going to make Ashton mad? Like, sure, it just would never cross my mind. In fact, I would try to do the exact opposite. Oh, you that. don't do that? No, uh, yeah, absolutely no, not. I, I do things I know gets under Jamie's – Jamie's skin. She don't listen to podcast. Well, she, oh, she does. Uh, <laughs> don't edit that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Matt, edit that. Mm. Yeah, so we'll just move on. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't imagine trying to, to do that. So Anyway, all right, well, we will move on today into the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be looking at chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 23. And, and like every week, very popular passage of Scripture, often quoted, sure, um, often talked about. So I'm going to ask Pastor Shane if he would read for us verses 7 through 23. Sure. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. All right. A lot of topics dealt with um, in these verses. The first one, Jesus comes out and talks about knocking, asking, um, receiving. So what is Jesus teaching us about this concept of prayer and about knocking, asking, receiving? Because you hear a lot of times different takes on this. In fact, I had somebody just this morning was asking me about praying and, you know, basically praying for something he feels like, hey, this is, this should be God's will. Why is it not happening kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Well, um, as we say often, context always drives meaning. Um, in, in this section, is as Jesus is kind of, uh, I guess, closing out um, in some fashion uh, this message, this whole section is about our relationship with others. Um, mm-hmm. And he says, you know, don't, don't judge others without first examining yourself. And so then right after that, he says, you know, um, ask, uh, seek, knock all these things, and you'll receive. So if we keep it in that context, when Jesus says, hey, you need to examine, before you try to correct your brother, you need to examine yourself uh, first. You need to see the beam of wood in your own eye or the plank in your own eye, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking, well, how do I see that? He said, well, ask me. You know, I'll show these things to you. You know, I will give, basically, I will give you wisdom about who you really are. You know, I will reveal these things Mm -hmm. to you if you will ask and you will seek and you will not. And, and some uh, commentators that I read after said, you know, they, they believe, and uh, I don't know if this is totally accurate, but they believe that the, the ask, seek and knock is like, it's an increasing in intensity in prayer. Like you're you're doing more each time. Like asking is one thing, and then seeking, you know, kind of ups the ante, and then knocking, you know, adds to it even more. And so they believe that there there should be this this progressive intensity in wanting to know the the plank of wood in my own eye, so that I can't help my brother. So, you know, and I think in relation to this too, a, a parable that comes to mind from Jesus is where he talks about the woman who came over wanting something in the middle of the night. I don't remember exactly what she was looking for. And she basically knocks on the door and they're like, go away. It's late. Don't bother me. And um, the lady just keeps beating and beating and beating. And all of a sudden she gets up and they get up. And Jesus was referring to that about prayer and about coming to God. And, right. you know, I, my answer this morning to the guy was asking me, I said, you know, I don't know how to balance all these things in a way that we can completely understand how prayer works, mm-hmm. what God grants, what God doesn't grant. It gets complicated too. You start talking about um, free will and saying, okay, if Shane and I are having a conflict and I'm praying for God to resolve that, God's got to work through Shane's free will as well. You know, he's not going to impose his will over that. And there's those kinds of things. Sure. I do think it is more, as you said, about internal application here. You know, God changed me. And I think sometimes prayer brings us more into alignment than God's will, than us viewing a prayer bringing God into alignment with our plans or our desires or. Yeah, and, and we'll get into it more in the deep dive. But you know, um, as far as like prayer, it's it's not a magic formula to get God to do your will, right? Um, you know, we we often think, well, if I if I just say it a different way, or or you know, I, I got to have the right words, or or something like or that. I don't have enough faith. Or, yeah, or I don't mm-hmm. have enough faith. Those sort of things. Um, I, there's no. It's it's not a incantation of, of sorts you know sure. it's, it's not about it's not about accomplishing those things yeah no i mean even when uh, pastor josh was speaking it, it reminded me you know c.s lewis used to say prayer doesn't change god it changes me sure and i think that's generally true I, I don't think he's saying that there's no point in asking god for things but if again how do you deal with a being who knows all things at all times and always has and always will and exists outside of time and space um, those those are big complicated things so yeah maybe maybe prayer really is more about how um it changes me and how god uses it to um sort of bend my will to his will yeah. um and i also think one of the interesting things about this passage is, that kind of gets lost is that it it really speaks to the idea that you know god is a god of abundance yeah that um, so, in particular, I'm referring to who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, 
or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your, fa- your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's this idea that, you know, believe it or not, God actually does know what he's doing. Yeah. So if he, if he doesn't allow, if there's something, a good thing that you want that doesn't come to you, there is some reason behind that. Now, it will probably, in most cases, always be a mystery to you and I. But there is some reason. Like God is not a jerk. He's not holding things back. He's not the angry kid with a magnifier trying to use the sunlight to burn up ants. He loves us. He is the loving Father. He is a the very best Father that any of us could imagine, and even more so. So it, if you're asking for something, there's something you desperately want, and He's not giving it to you, it, maybe it's a timing issue, or maybe there's some other factors that we, we can't just understand. You have to hold fast to the truth that He is good. And Make, that even in even in the absence of the things he wants, he is going to always provide good for us. Yeah. Makes me think of Pastor Shane's favorite song. He's a good, good father. Mm, come on, yeah, that is fake news right there. <laughs> it, not, it, but it really does. No, make he me. is a good, good father, but that is not my favorite song. Uh, oh, but no, I mean it, he is. He is a good, good father. Um, and you know, even hey, thinking. Why, why, why now, whenever you hear people say, they, you never hear anybody say good father anymore. It's always he's, good, he's a good, good father. Yeah. Everybody always it's says good, song, good father. Yeah. The song did it for us, yeah, man. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, but, you know, even thinking as a parent along these lines of him being a good father, you know, sometimes the best gift I can give my child is a spanking or a lecture or some form of discipline yeah. to correct them. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it's not. But, you know, I, I can clearly see in, in my kids, like when they want something, I go, no, that's really bad for you. You know, for example, this is an example when my kids listen to this, and they know we have these conversations. But, you know, occasionally the conversation will come up about our kids getting a phone, uh, specifically Sawyer. He's the oldest. And I always say, look, I'm very honest with him. I, like, I love you too much for that. Hmm. I love you too much to give you that access to the world right now because I know how harmful and how dangerous it is. I know the temptations you will face. I know the the lures that will go in front of you, and I just – it's not that I don't trust you. I love you too much to, mm-hmm. to give that give you over to Satan in that way, right, you know, yeah. at this point. And, you know, sometimes Sawyer understands that. Sometimes he doesn't, and I get that. But in the same relation, sometimes we understand what God has not given us, and sometimes we don't. But yeah. he is all-knowing, and he is good. And if we trust that he is a good, good father, then we can learn to trust yeah. him giving us. I what. had that same conversation with my girls um, when they were younger, and they wanted to. Uh, mine wasn't quite as spiritual. My, mine was more practical. I'm like, look, you're never anywhere that I'm not. Yeah. So if that ever changes, you know, like uh, eventually when when like like they were doing things at school or whatever, mm-hmm. and like they needed to, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be late. Um, you know, they're keeping us an extra half hour, so right. don't come pick me up at the regular time. Hey, uh, you can call me and tell me that. Like, right. So I'll get you a phone then. I said, but you got to, and I told him, I said, when I get you the phone, this isn't your phone. This is my phone that I'm letting you use to give me information. As soon as, if I ever call this phone and you don't answer this phone, then I take my phone back. You know, I made it very clear. But uh, again, I was, I was trying to do what's best for them. I didn't, I think giving a child a cell phone too young, because I mean, that's a lot of responsibility. It, it could. You're you're right. It could definitely ruin them. So, yeah. All right. Um. You know, growing up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Didn't grow up in a, a church going family. But there was one thing that I always knew from the Bible. Had no clue where it was at in the Bible. But I would always hear reference to the golden rule mm. that sure, we find yeah. here in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So, what is the golden rule? Um. And how do we apply it for our life? What What's it mean for us? And it would, it would help probably for us to quote the verse. Well, yeah, we normally, uh, if you grew up in the South, it's do unto others as you would have them do, do unto, unto you. you. Yeah. It's kind of the, the how yeah. most people remember. Um, yeah, the translation saying, here says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. Yeah. Um, well, at this, at this time, the there was a, a teaching of the rabbis that said, you know, don't harm others if you don't want them to harm you. Yeah. And it was this rule was given in the in the negative sense. Like if you don't want people to hit you, don't hit them. 
And on the surface, this this rule kind of sounds like that one, but it's actually in the positive. It's like, no, 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 don't just don't hit them. Like actually do something good for them. Yeah. Um. So it's it's really counter what the rabbis of his day were were teaching. It it would have been familiar to the listeners, um, obviously, but it would have been in the positive instead of the negative. And it, it was almost uh, understood as like lead by example. Yeah. I often see this misapplied and misinterpreted where people will go, hey, Jesus said, do unto them as they do to you. And so they hurt me, so I'm going to hurt. And like, that's not what he said. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He did the same thing with this verse that he's done throughout this sermon. He's taken things a step further. Don't give them an eye for an eye. Don't do for them what they did to you. Do right. for them what you would want them. Yeah. And it's really a you. summation statement of everything that he said before on our relationship with sure. others. You know? Right. And so we got to um, kind of keep that. Uh, you know, I remember uh, hearing the golden rule quoted by Dusty Rhodes. Oh, boy. And uh, he didn't quote it right. He said he was, and I mean, he was, it was this a wrestling, is no surprise. It was a wrestling promo. So he said, "Do unto others before they do it to you." <laughs> yep, there you go. And I was like, I don't, "I don't think that's quite how it went." Oh man, I wish we had a little audio clip of Dusty Rhodes saying that. Mm-hmm. That would be fantastic. Pastor Matt, were you a wrestling fan? Did you watch wrestling growing up? Um, I I did. Yes. Okay. Um, in particular, I was a big Goldberg person. Really? Um, yeah. I liked Sting. But yeah, mostly around the Goldberg area, really the height of his kind of reign or whatever is my day. And uh, uh, Steve Cold, uh, Steve Cold Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you can really age a a man by what wrestlers he really liked. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's irrelevant. I just was wondering if Pastor Shane mentioned the Dusty Roads because I was of the Dusty Roads era. Yeah. L- very end of Dusty Roads era. You oh, know, okay. as far as. Before the polka dot WWE age. Sure. But anyway, that's, again, irrelevant. All right. So, but we understand this This verse is telling us, you know, treat people the way you would want them to treat you. Be the bigger person spiritually. That's what the kingdom of Jesus is about. It's not about vengeance. It's not about retaliation. It's about forgiveness. It's about grace. It's about mercy. Mm-hmm. And so even Jesus treated the Pharisees the way he wanted to be treated, not the way they necessarily deserved to be treated. Sure. All right, next verses he gets into the idea that heaven is a narrow gate. The way to heaven is a narrow gate. Why should this be concerning to cultural Christians, cultural cultural Christianity um, in general? Well, in general, because cultural Christianity preaches um, believe in Jesus, be a good person. And, and a very loose definition of the word belief. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, practice all the, you know, do all the church holidays, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you, and you hear it in, um, you, you hear it in, like, music a lot of times. Um, I listen to a song that's is, is called By Dirt or something like that. And it says, uh, you know, uh, send your prayers up and your roots down deep. Throw a little money in the plate at church, which is... <sighs> is very much minimizing two of the elements of worship, giving and praying. Like, hey, um, you know, give give something to the man upstairs, throw a little money in, in the plate at church. And so that that is just, I think that song, um, hope, hopefully nobody's building their theology off of a country song, but I believe that that song reflects where people are already at. Mm-hmm. And, and so... And it, I think that actually bolsters our cultural Christianity. Uh, when yeah. we're like, man, you hear that song? He said God in it, you know. Yeah. Uh, or the man upstairs. I remember an old Alabama song, you know. Oh, um, uh, or Garth, Garth Brooks, Brooks, yeah. yeah. Uh, remember when you're talking to the man, man upstairs. upstairs. And uh, you, it, when you use, uh, is that an idiom? Um, yeah. When you use idioms like that, uh, I I would venture to say you probably don't understand who the man upstairs is. Yeah. Because you would you would not address him so flippantly like that. Right. I, I would think. And again, I think that just I don't think it. I, I think it feeds and is a reflection of cultural Christianity. Yeah. Can we just say it's a really bad idea to get your theology from country music songs? Yes. Yeah. But I'm so, I, I, again at the same time. 
people are like, hey, you know, he he said God, he must be a Christian. Like, no, no he's just yeah. he's trying to sell a record. Yeah. So what's Jesus's point here? He says, entering through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads. Well, I think he's making a very clear distinction because here towards the end of his sermon, and we'll get into some of it next week. But he's like, there's two gates, there's two ways, there's two destinations, there's two groups of people, there's two kinds of trees, there's two kinds of fruits, there's uh, two groups at the judgment, there's two kind of builders, two kinds of foundations. All the he's he's making a very clear distinction of those who follow him and those who don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I don't think he could have made it any clearer. He's mm-hmm. like, there's these people, and then there's those people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And these people follow me, and those people don't. And this is how you'll know yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think ultimately what, uh, if you were trying to kind of summarize this last pass, or, or really even maybe the Sermon on the Mount in general, um, if you're trying to summarize it, is that Jesus is the narrow way. Like, right. Apart from Jesus, there is no other yeah. way. It is broad, and it ultimately leads to destruction. Um, so I mean, he, he's ultimately pointing back to himself and back to the kingdom that he's inaugurating. Exactly. Here. I think that's that's kind of what he's talking about, and yeah, I I, I think cultural Christianity obviously is a problem. One of the biggest issues with it, if you think about it, is that you know Jesus didn't come and die for cultures; he he came and died for people. Yeah, <laughs> sure. But, uh, he came and died for people created in his image. So it, I just why you I think any kind of uh, cultural warring or, or cultural Christianity or you know we need Christianity to be respected in the land or things will go bad that stuff never holds up over the long run and more times than not at church ends up either standing by and holding our tongues and being silent while awful things are taking place or we ourselves are participating in those awful things um so i I think the focus should be on what does it look like for you and i to follow jesus day by day small simple ways and when they come to us big ways yep absolutely he talks a little bit about how we recognize false teachers. Very clear um, principle here. How do we recognize false teachers? By their fruit. Yes. Yep. It says a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Bad fruit cannot produce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A bad and, tree and, cannot produce good and fruit. And keeping it in context, I would, well, here's, false teachers look like real teachers. Because, like, in their day, Many shepherds, and you even see this like in pictures. I know they're not, you know, historically accurate, but uh, many shepherds would wear like sheep's uh, like coats made out of wool and things like this because that's what they had readily accessible, you know. Um, so they would, because they were shepherds. I mean, they would wear, you know, they would shear sheep's and they would make clothes out of it, especially during the cold winter, and they would, you know, make these. So mm-hmm. they would have these. You know, um, so they look like real shepherds. He right. he was saying, but um, and and here's the reason I, I believe that. Well, first because that was their culture. They that is what they look like. But also, if they looked really different than a real shepherd, he wouldn't be warning you. Look, they're they look like real shepherds, right. but they're ravenous wolves, right. and they're promoting this wide gate, wide path theology. Right. Uh, and so I think that, and that may be the fruit, some of the fruit of which he is talking about is, is that wide gate, wide path theology. Right. Yeah. I also there. think it's important to remember it's fruit, not works. Right. Now, yes, earlier, yes, yes. earlier and earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually talks about the idea that those outside will see our works, um, and, and there's opportunity to praise God for them. Um, so I'm not saying works are unimportant. That would be contradictory to, uh, what we'd already discussed earlier in the season sure. and on other places. That being said, it does say fruit, and it, it you can't help, or at least I couldn't help, but think of uh, Galatians of 5, right? Yeah. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are not things that are immediately, you can see somebody else immediately most of the time. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's something that's born out over time, and it's born out of their very character, or to use uh, the idea we see constantly in the Sermon on the Mount, their very heart. Yeah. And I think sometimes what happens is it's easier to see works, so we judge people by their their works. And it's an uh, example of this would be like, hey, here's this big large church. Yeah. They've got thousands of members. they got multiple locations. Well, clearly the Spirit of God is moving amongst them. Clearly they figured something out. 
Whereas, like, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> the largest church in the United States of America is a multicultural, great music, thousands upon thousands upon people, millions of dollars in revenue, and they preach the prosperity gospel week after week after week. And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the cross, is completely devoid. Yeah. Despite them having thousands of people, all this money, multicultural, all these things that we long for, it's devoid of that. Yeah. And, and that's why it's so easy to trip on works, but you got to look at the fruit, look at the character of the shepherd, of the teacher. That's yeah. where you're going to see whether or not they're truly part of and following Jesus. And yeah. sometimes I think, um, you, you know, you see uh, pastors fall from grace, so to speak. I think sometimes what prolongs that fall is is those works that Matt was talking yeah. about, mm-hmm. like those sort of things. Everybody's like, man, look at all the good they're doing in their community. Yeah. Like they're, you know, they're doing all these things, and so that nobody ever puts them in check. Yeah. Well, know? without um, exception that I can think of, every one of these people that have fallen, you start to hear the backstories. Everybody's, you know, what they were a jerk. They yeah. treated people awful. Mm-hmm. They the, basically this list of traits that you got. Nobody. They would all say, hey, they don't have any of those. There's no patience. There's no self-control. But because the church was doing so well, because mm-hmm. we were growing, they figured, well, you know what? I must be wrong in thinking that about them because they're doing something right. But it's exactly what Pastor Matt's talking about. Everybody's looking at the works mm-hmm. and not the fruit of the person. They sure. excused the fruit and the character because the works were so good. But as we see, that off, that always ends up crumbling and falling. And yeah. Kurt Franklin, I was listening to... Uh, by the Ant- way, they, they show these traits on stage. Sure. But not behind the no, closed doors. I, I was listening to an interview with Kurt Franklin. Well, it's actually through Ruslan, but uh, Kurt Franklin was doing an interview. And he said one of the biggest problems, and this was in like early 2000s, you know, when the whole God's property thing was mm-hmm. stomped. You know, he, mm-hmm. he had like a sitcom, number one album. Okay, yeah. so... It was in the midst of that. He said, and he sees it now. I didn't see it then because he didn't want to see it, he said. But uh, in church culture, the biggest problem he saw was that talent, and of course he's a musician, but he said talent always trumped character. He said, as long as you had talent, he said, you can you could basically get through unscathed. Like yeah. nobody will ever question you. Nobody will ever put you in check. And so he said it's actually very damning for the individual is how he would would say it. And he said, like, he said he was uh, singing all these things, but he wasn't living any of it, he said, because, you know, he didn't have any character, didn't have any depth mm-hmm. in his faith. Or, And then he went to Tony Evans Church one time, and um, he he got there kind of late, but he's like, oh, they'll they'll move people. I'll get, I'm Kurt Franklin, you know, I'll get to yeah. sit on the front row, and it's like, uh, and just let the pastor, Pastor Evans, know because he had a pretty large church by then. And Pastor Evans like, no, he's got to sit in the overflow. Like he came late. That's just how it works. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't get any special privilege here. And he said, man, that floored him. He said he he said he was mad first, but then he said as it set on him, he said like, I think this guy really cares about like people, you know, like nobody gets any kind of special privilege Mm -hmm. or anything. And so he actually, when he got his life straight and really sold out to Jesus was under Tony Evans ministry, because he's like, no, you don't get any special favoritism. Like I wouldn't put you on my stage. Like you, you wouldn't be one of my musicians, you know, because like you, you have to meet a certain um, level of character and, Right. And walk with the Lord that's that's proven and evident. And he yeah. started teaching him all these things. And so he said that's when he started walking with the Lord. And I was like, man, that's that's really yeah. good. I'm, I was like, man, that that speaks to what we're talking about now. And I was like, man, that's that was a really cool story, really cool interview that I, I listened yeah. to the other day. Well, and then he moves into a verse that has probably kept a lot of people up. Um, late at night, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in, on he- on, in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Like I said, this is a verse that's probably kept yeah. a lot of people up at night. Wait, hold on. Am I one of those people why should genuine believers not 
stay up at night worrying, hold on, did I not quite make the cut? And what's Jesus trying to get across to us here? Well, first of all, I think it's because we're, we're reading it wrong uh, most of the time. We're, we are thinking, man, these people, by all evidence, like they were true believers. Like, I feel like I'm a true believer, but then they didn't get in, so maybe I won't get in, you know? Yeah. And so, there, but if you, if you um, really study this verse, it seems to me that the people that are talking to Jesus in this verse, or I mean, it's a hypothetical, of course, but um, their faith was in the works they were doing, not in not Jesus. Not in the fruit and in Jesus, yeah. Yeah, they, they, it wasn't in. He said, depart from me because you never knew me. Yeah, right. you did a lot of good things, but your faith is in what you do. And it, it was, if you look at, you know, he's talking to the Pharisees, um, it, and much of, you know, whenever he was uh, like, he called them vipers, brutish things, right. th things like that, mm -hmm. because their faith was in what they could do, their works. And that's right. what he's saying here. Like, like the people who come to me and, hey, we did all these good things and we had their faith was in what they did. So, yeah, you, you can't understand this verse without tying it back to the narrow and wide gate. Like Pastor Matt said, the narrow gate is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not works. It's not all these things. It's, it's being in him. And I mean, that's exactly right. And the balance that Pastor Matt talked about works and, and fruit. They're relying solely on the works, not on the fruit. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, we have to take Jesus' word here, there'll be many in the judgment that they decided, you know, that they were going to find make their own way whether they intended to do that or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's a passage that followers of Christ should worry about. But there are times where, honestly, it's probably healthy to kind of look up at let that be, let the Word kind of examine your own life yes. or whatever. Ask, let let it be the mirror that you look into, so to speak. Ask, seek, and knock, mm. you know, and say, God, help me not be one of these people, you know. Sure, yeah. Am I truly following after you and, and have faith in you? All right, great thoughts. We're going to be back with a very interesting topic for our deep dive in just a minute. are back for today's deep dive and we're kind of reverting back to those first few verses that we looked at today and the question is and pastor matt alluded to this even uh, later on in the episode today the prosperity gospel why is that not the real gospel and because and the reason brought this question up is those first few verses are one of the main verses they use you know basically anything you ask for if you ask for it hard enough you, you'll get it mm -hmm. uh, why is that not the real gospel and then you know, there's a there's a close cousin to the prosperity gospel, which is the faith healing gospel, which I think is they're they're all in all in one because they have the same sort of mentality. Well, I think all, about it. Yeah, it's all promoted by word of faith. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about maybe a little bit of definition of what it is and uh, why that's not the true gospel. You know, as Pastor Matt says, void of the true gospel of mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Prosperity word of faith doctrine promotes that. If your relationship with God is good, then you will be healthy, wealthy, wise, have vibrant relationships. You can speak things into existence. You can name it and claim it. These are just a few of the, uh, to be honest, trash that they that they preach, mm -hmm. which is totally, I mean, it's totally anti-biblical. Um, you, they, you know, they. You, I, like I've heard some like Jesse Duplantis say that God has asked him for his advice before. I was like, if you can't like, look, if I get some people aren't good at seeing false teachers, that should be like, I mean, that should be like shouted from the mountaintops. Like, and yeah. then, so he, I mean, this is several, several years ago. So, I mean, since then he's got like a $60 million plane. Yeah. That he said he's going to believe God for, and people donate to his ministry. I'm like, there's no way any man who says God asked me for my advice, and and the reason he says this is because he said that God asked Adam for his advice. That's why he wanted Adam to name the animals because he didn't know what to call them. And yeah. I, I mean, I've heard him say, like yeah. I've watched videos with him say, I was like, like somebody believing this? Yeah. 
Well, and then the undercurrent of this is what we call little g God theology. That yeah, basically, yeah, right. you know, we we have the right to be to demand basically anything God demands, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It puts us in the place of God in a lot of ways. But yeah, I mean, yeah. the heart of all this is if you've got enough faith. You can manipulate God to do whatever you want Him to do for you, whether that brings healing to your body, yes. mm-hmm. whether that is giving you a Porsche or a, a bigger paycheck or whatever. Um, and they'll use verses like this. You know, God said, it, just ask, knock, and receive. God wants to give good gifts to you. And, you know, I love that you often say, good thing nobody ever told the prodigal son about the prosperity gospel because they'd have gave him a cup of soup. Yeah, that's or actually, that's the social uh, justice. But uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Vance Havner said that one time, like, good thing nobody ever gave the prodigal son a sandwich. He might have never returned to the father, you know, that sort of thing. But that was more, yeah, it was more social justice type gospel. Uh, not that social justice sort of things. I mean, there's a correct way of talking sure, sure, that, sure. but that's not what this yeah. discussion is about. Let me read um, some scripture that I believe is uh, speaks so much against uh, the prosperity gospel in in First Timothy says this, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then here's the famous verse: For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, God, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight, um, which is so like, and, and to be honest, like the, the prosperity gospel, Jesus couldn't even qualify. So I'm just saying, if you're putting out a gospel that Jesus can't qualify for, because they said, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be wealthy. Jesus says, you know, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Uh, so, okay. So he, he, he strikes out on that one. Um, you're going to be healthy. Uh, it said, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was sweating drops of blood. So he's out for that one. Um, you're going to have vibrant, healthy relationships. Well, all Jesus' best friends deserted him when he needed them the most. So he strikes out. So, so all these things that they are promoting, like Jesus doesn't even get them, so I mean, like, yeah. what what more do you need to know? It's a false gospel, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it's an extremely attractive gospel to people, because mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be rich? Sure. Who doesn't want to be healed? Who doesn't want? And, and let's let's be clear: God gives good gifts to His children. God heals people, Absolutely. but it's all based in His will and His plan and His direction. Because He's a good good father. Because He's a good good father. Mm-hmm. But we can't manipulate those things to happen. Yeah. But it is attractive to people because if you're broke, yeah, let me follow this because if I pray hard enough and I listen to this preacher, I mean, obviously he's got lots of money. Um, sure. He, he's all he, God's poor, blessings are pouring out on him. But the reverse side, you see, it's not because God's given all these things. To him, it's because he's manipulating all the people under him to to give those things to him. You know, right? It's it's kind of like John Piper said one time. He's what if you ever see things about what he thinks about the prosperity gospel? He says the word word that comes to mind is hatred, like yeah. I hate. And he said like like if you know somebody sees you driving your new BMW and said, "Man, you you like my car? Like Jesus gave me this car, so don't you want Jesus?" And he's like, "Yeah, like I'd like some of that Jesus too." Yeah. Like you know, and he said he said that's materialism, like. You know you're right. you're manipulating people, and it's um, and the like the whole word of faith thing. It leaves you confused at best because you you know you got the whole name and claim it theology that's so prevalent in prosperity gospel and yeah. word of faith movement. What happens when you say, "Hey, you're going to get healing in Jesus' name"? I'm claiming it, and then they don't get healing. So what what do you do with that? Yeah. See, oh well, I didn't have enough faith, or I didn't say the right word. See, all that's yeah. unbiblical, sure. and it's also akin to witchcraft. Yeah, because witchcraft teaches incantations. You speak things into existence. That's why they they do these incantations. Well, this I mean, all you're doing is putting the Jesus label on witchcraft and saying. Hey, I'm I'm claiming all these things in Jesus' name. Like I'm gonna speak these things. I'm gonna speak my prosperity into existence. Like, no, you you can't do that. Like, 
and you know, I've actually seen this played out. Very real situation. What you're talking about? We had a good friend uh, when I was in high school. He was an older gentleman in our church. He was in his 40s, but um, he was dying of cancer. And his brother and their family was very much word of faith. And I watched in that room that week as they tried to pray every which way and and to try to bring it the right way and bring this preacher and that preacher and this person that maybe if the right person with enough faith would ask in the right way then he would be healed of his cancer sure and when he died those people were crushed and i mean it shook their faith to the core and, and it should have because their faith was in the wrong thing yeah but because they felt like they had failed him that somehow they didn't pray it the right way yeah. their faith wasn't great enough that it, it all fell on their shoulders that they did this thing wrong because what they believed in was if they did it right, God would heal him. Yeah, it, no ifs, ands, buts about it. Because what they do, they, they, they actually teach have faith in your faith. Right. You know? Sure. And it's so just... they thought their brother dying was their lack of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and what a devastating gospel that is to teach people. And by the way, if God healed everybody that, does, that asked it the right way, nobody would die that had enough faith. You know, yeah. like it. It's just and and uh, you know just just right observing word. some of that stuff. Like I, they they interviewed one time Benny Hinn, and and I I think they asked him like if you really have the power to heal people, why are you not at the children's hospital right now? Like if God works through you in this way, and it's like well you they got to have faith or or whatever. Like you leave you you leave that sort of thing. Like like your example. Those sort of things just confuse people, it, oh, it, sure. and the gospel should not be confusing, yeah. you know, right. at all. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of. I mean, we don't have the time to go talk about all of them. But there's all sorts of different um, prosperity gospels. Uh, there's the God and country uh, gospel that if uh, if everyone believes the same thing, then the nation has to prosper. There's no way it couldn't possibly prosper. Um, and then the one that I I just recently found a term for. Um, for years, I've kind of I've been aware of it, but I can never find a way to describe it. So it was it was one of the musicians who was at Mars Hill, and he was being interviewed for a podcast, and he was kind of trying to talk about what his experience was at church and and how things went wrong, his relationship with Mark Driscoll and everything. And he used this phrase; he referred to it as the virtue prosperity gospel. This idea, and this that, that was his summary of how a lot of Mark's preaching was, is that if you live this way, if you make these right choices, if you do these things that I'm telling you to do, a man is the, uh, the primary breadwinner, the wife has to stay home, all these other things that um, there's a nugget of truth in. If you do these things, then God will have to bless you, you'll have a happy family, you, you won't have strife and all these types of things. It's this idea that it links it with all the other ones that we've talked about is this, this idea that we're going to use God to get what we want. So God, instead Which is of at the being, heart of all prosperity yes, teaching. It, yeah. it, that's the end. It, and if God is a means and not an end, that is what all these are. That's the thing that links all these different things. Whereas if, if God is the end, he's not the means to get what I want. He is the end itself. Then yeah. you get God and you get everything else. And that's what we find in the true gospel. We recognize a lot of the false teachers because they're on TV. Yeah, I mean, just because they—I mean, that's usually who gets on TV is false teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, But they would often say during these camp meetings that they would have, "Nothing leaves heaven until something leaves earth." That's why they want you to sow this faith seed. You know, if you sow a hundred dollars, he's going to give you a thousand. What they're what they're actually saying—if you think about what they're saying. God cannot in, act independently of you. You are the catalyst that makes God move. Like he, like when has that ever happened in Scripture? Like, like yeah. God does. God says, "Look, I don't owe you any explanations. I act how I act. You know, I'll yeah. bless who I bless. I'll, you know, give mercy to who I want to give mercy to." Right. right. And so, God acts independently of us. Um, and like you, you see, like even in the covenant theology, that God is faithful to God. Like when, when uh, the, the kind of the catalyst, whenever um, during the Exodus, it said that God looked down on them and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so God was being faithful to God. He was being faithful to his word, to his covenant. God acts independently of us. 
Uh, now, I think God blesses us. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't want to yeah, sure. give any kind of, but I think there's some sort of balance there that yeah. we, uh, in, yeah. in understanding, we have right. to understand and, and these sort of things. I was going to say, as we're, we're, we're starting to wrap up here, um, it's important to remember all of these, these false gospels, they all have some truth to them. Yeah, sure. and they twist that truth. They right. twist that God obviously wants to bless you. So he'll, if you do this, He will have to bless you or whatever. Yeah. If right. if you live this way and make these choices, then your life has to work out well. It's yeah. sort of like if you focus just on Proverbs, but then you ignore Ecclesiastes and you ignore Job. Like that's what wisdom living is. It's just yeah. you have to balance all these different things. Sure. It's not the yeah. simplistic. He wants this, therefore you can maneuver him to get this thing yeah. from him. You know, and and I don't think. Anybody, I don't want anybody to walk away from this conversation and go, man, if I'm sick, I shouldn't ask God to heal me. Oh, no, no, no. Or even trust that, you know, God's got my best interest at heart. I don't think anybody should walk away from this and go, you know what, I shouldn't ask God for things. We shouldn't expect to be able to manipulate God to do those things. That's right. Um, The other thing is, and you say, okay, why is this not the real gospel? The kingdom gospel is self-sacrificial. It's about us laying down our lives to give to Jesus because he's laid his life down for us. Everything about this gospel is self-serving. Self-promoting. Yeah. Self-promoting. And that's true of, of all false gospels, is that they're all about inflating self, mm-hmm. not deflating self. And you go back to the words of John the Baptist, I must decrease so that he can increase. And any gospel that says I must increase is a false gospel. And that is certainly at the heart of the prosperity gospel and the word of faith movement. All right, that's been an interesting discussion. We're going to wrap that up, and we'll be back in just a minute to wrap up this episode of The Word We are back to wrap up this week's episode of The Wordsmith. What are you guys' final thoughts on these verses that we've talked about today? Uh, my, I guess my final thought is, as Jesus is kind of wrapping up this, this message, is that he draws the line in the sand, so to speak, there near the end. He's like, and it's, it's almost reminiscent of the Old Testament, you know, um, for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's like, hey, if you're if you're wanting to serve the Lord, you're over here. If you're not, you're uh, you're over there. And and Jesus is like, look, this there's a narrow gate. I'm the narrow gate. Yeah. You you can come through me, or you can go at it on your own. You know. And so I, I think that's the thing that kind of stands out the most to me uh, in this chapter. Uh, so for my. <laughs> For my kind of final takeaway thoughts or whatever, I'm going to go jump back to Galatians. Uh, so I'm stealing from Paul, I guess. Um, Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to be freed, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think that's ultimately what we're talking about, is that despite what the prosperity gospel says, despite what our own hearts even sometimes tells us, uh, we're not to serve ourselves and our own passions. We're to serve one another. We're to love one another and to follow Jesus and trust that he knows what he's doing, that he is working his will in the world in uh, in a broad sense, and he's working his will in the world in our own hearts. I'll steal from Paul as well. The end of chapter 11 of Romans, um, Pastor Shane did a good job preaching this last week. About what have, has any man done that God should repay him? Mm-hmm. That God owes us nothing. And then when we flip over to chapter 12, which we'll be looking at this Sunday at church, we see Paul's response to that is, God doesn't owe us anything, but we owe him our lives mm-hmm. in response. And that's what the kingdom of, of Jesus is about, is about giving our life to serve him, follow him, and be obedient to him. That is what it means to, to go through the narrow gate, is to give everything to Jesus. And so I encourage you, if you haven't done that, to do that. Don't get caught up in cultural Christianity, prosperity gospels, all these different things that will make you feel better about yourself, but instead give your life to Jesus and follow him, and he will reward you abundantly. 
That's been this week's episode of the Wordsmith Podcast. No matter how you listen to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, almost anywhere that podcasts are played. Thank you for listening. Like us, review us, and we'll be back next week to wrap up Season 5 of the Wordsmith Podcast.